0: Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film.
1: It's so bad.
0: Just one week to go before the real dog days of summer, at least at the movie theater. So we're going to go out with a bang. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. The Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater.
1: With their 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounge recliners. And we
0: need a big old screen and some comfy chairs for the first movie this week for sure. It is the latest, number six in the Mission Impossible franchise. Yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout.
1: Your mission, should you choose to accept
0: it, i wonder did you ever choose not to the end you always feared is coming and the blood will be on your hands the fallout of all your good intentions you had a terrible choice to make in berlin one life over millions and now the world is at risk
1: this is the cia's mission If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
0: His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. Yeah, this franchise has been going now for 22 years. Can you believe that? No, no, (laughs) that's crazy. 1996, the first Mission Impossible came out, and you know what? You look back on all of them, and it's hard to remember all of them at a moment's notice. But none of them were bad. They were all at least decent, but this one, at least for me, this one is is good enough to make you rethink the entire franchise and think, you know what, this has been a solid action franchise, because this one is the best.
1: It is, yeah. It is the best, and it, it is in particular the best as an action film. I think that there are a couple in the series where you can go, no, that was a that was a kick-ass action film, but it wasn't such a great spy thriller, you know, and I'm not saying this is ever going to measure up to other actual spy thrillers, right, like your Tinker Tailor Soldier Spies, but... Well, that was hardly
0: an action film. No, but that's what I mean. (laughs) Uh, You know, this is an action film first. But
1: I think that the double crossing and the the callbacks to earlier films, they kept the storyline in this one very intriguing and not so convoluted that you couldn't follow it.
0: It gets a little convoluted. I mean, uh, you can follow it. It does help if you saw the last one, Rogue Nation, because some of the elements are back from that one. Some faces, some familiar characters Mm -hmm. are back from that one as well, as is the director. Christopher McQuarrie is the director. He also writes this one. Um, And he's a frequent Tom Cruise collaborator. Collaborator, yeah. Some Uh, of the
1: better movies, too. Some of the ones I have liked the best.
0: Yeah. uh, And you go all the way back. He wrote the screenplay for The Usual Suspects. Which we enjoyed very much. Years ago, so... Uh, this one, he wrote the screenplay. It's a good screenplay, but this is his, I think, his best directing effort. Mm-hmm. Really well directed. All the, especially all these action sequences, and uh, yeah, so he really advances the movie. I wouldn't call it a sequel to Rogue Nation, but it advances sort of the th- some of the themes and certainly some of the characters. Has to do with a stash of rogue plutonium that Ethan Hunt plays, by, played by Tom Cruise. Let's uh, get away because he places more emphasis on saving his team, Ving Rhames and uh, Simon Pegg, over securing the plutonium. So that gets him in some, in some trouble with his boss, Alec Baldwin, and his boss's boss, uh, Angela Bassett. Right. So then they have to go uh, after and getting this uh, rogue plutonium back before it's off to the highest bidder. And terrorists, this terrorist group called the Apostles... And you're right. Double crosses, triple crosses. Who is working for who?
1: And mustaches.
0: <laughs> Henry Cavill a, shows up in this le- one. Le- at least and one particular mustache. It's,
1: it's. You know, you you forget until you see. We're like, oh, that's the stash that brought down DC, <laughs> right there.
0: Yeah, he's brought in his uh, agent. Walker is brought in by Angela Bassett because you know they need just some little extra help um, to try to you know keep this mission. In line, well, so
1: Angela Bassett is with the CIA, right? And she is not as interested in all of the different. She she's a sledgehammer. She just wants us taken care of. She doesn't yeah. give a shit who dies. She doesn't care who comes home and who doesn't. Right. And, and so the so Henry Cavill's character is basically is just a uh, you know kill first, he, yep. ask questions later. Yep, yeah, that's kind what of he's a bruiser.
0: Exactly right. So he's on board, and they have no choice but to accept his help. So so they go off and um, on 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 the mission should they choose to accept it and they always do don't they as I, far as i know i guess we wouldn't i guess ha- it would make much of a movie if <laughs> they were like nah, i gotta get lunch i remember th- back when the tv show when i used to Shout watch out. the tv show as a kid Peter Graves. Yeah, and it was always should you choose to accept it. I'm like, "Well, is anybody? Yeah, I, I don't feel right today. I don't I don't want to do it." But anyway, a little queasy. I'm a little I'm a little That's nauseous. Some bad clams. But uh, anyway, so they're off all over the place and yes, the the main even as convoluted as the plot gets and as spy game as it gets, it all comes back to these stunts. I mean, wow this a lot has been made of tom cruise insisting on doing these stunts and of course as you may have heard he broke his ankle doing one of these stunts
1: but you know what i hadn't heard until you told me today he learned to fly a helicopter he got a pilot's license to fly a helicopter for this movie yeah. oh, well that is commitment to your craft
0: exactly right <laughs> and y'all you know you hate to say someone else's pain was worth it but it does lend an air of authenticity to it all these stunts. I it mean, does. you know, you, you know, there, there still are some, you know, effects people involved, of course, but man, it makes them look more real. It really does. These are great stunts, whether they're, you know, mountaintop or rooftop or fighting in a in a men's bathroom, and that's a good fight scene. It is a good fight scene. That is scene. a really good fight scene. You know, and then they're in the helicopter, and, and they're just all over the place, and some of these great landscapes, these big wide shots then in tight to the mountaintop. I mean, they're, it's really well staged, well done, well executed, and uh, there's some sort of um, formula that I heard about where Tom Cruise movies can be ranked on how much he runs.
1: The more often he the runs, often the better. The film runs, so
0: he, he runs, runs a lot.
1: He does. But you know what I think? A lot of times when you watch an action film, you know, the you're you're a Fast and Furious, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they they have some great stunts. You know, they're very interesting. To watch, but but pound for pound, you don't have that much acting talent in those films. You know the Mission Impossible movies; they do not skimp on talent. So aside from Tom Cruise, whether you like him or whether you don't, right? Henry Cavill has talent. He Simon does. Pegg is funny. Ving Rhames is intimidating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson can act. Mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin can act. Angela yep. Bassett can act. I yep. mean, they do. They you know they do. And, yeah. and even in, in in previous episodes, it's the same thing. They get people who are not only convincing in action but can act. So that even in the scenes where nothing blows up and nobody's scaling anything and nobody's flying away <laughs> from anything, yeah. even if the de, even if the material is maybe a little bit weaker than it could be, the delivery is always strong.
0: But all that being said, this is a movie, really more than any other in the franchise, that reminds you that there are actors and then there are movie stars. Yeah. And Tom Cruise, this has just has movie star bursting all over the place. I mean, if he was wearing a T-shirt... Underneath all those sweet black jackets that he has uh, in this movie, that just says "movie star," it really wouldn't seem out of place. It He's went. just bursting with movie star charisma, which he frequently has in his career. But this one is really all—it's you know to the nth degree, I think. And and the times when another thing I appreciated about the script mainly was the times when the plot does get a little bit Bondish, a little Bondy, yeah. like oh really. It knows it, yeah. and it kind of makes a reference, mm-hmm. a kind of wink, wink, and it, yeah. it knows what it's doing. And I appreciated that yeah. uh, w- w- before it goes off too far into you know eighties Bond territory. But it is solid; it is really solid. I mean, the it, it is it's got a two and a half hour running time.
1: Yeah, it didn't feel it. It, it didn't really feel didn't. it. That's no. long. Mm-hmm.
0: That is long, and there's no and we waited till the very end. There's no stinger. No, <laughs> we sat. So we, just get up and go. <laughs> we better sit here and, <laughs> and check just in case. So at least in the screening we saw. Uh, there was no stinger, but by then, you know, you've you feel you've got your money's worth. Yeah, yeah, you know, you really have, and uh, it really after six films. I mean, this one, uh, this one sets a high watermark for this franchise. And I think it's going to make a buck or two, and as we have said, it's it's good. It's it's sort of ending the quote unquote summer movie series on yeah. such a high note because Season. once yeah. August kicks in.
1: Yeah, and and that is generally the case, is that August and and into September is when the studios sort of sweep out everything that wasn't strong enough to sort of have its own weekend and go up against everything else. So we're going to see a lot of weaker movies, especially the studio movies, for the next few weeks. And you're going to want to probably seek out some of the independents next couple of weeks. But but yeah, they went out with a big one.
0: So a hearty recommendation for a Mission Impossible Fallout. And we'll get animated for the next one uh, this week. A Villains Maniacal Plan for World Domination Sidetracks 5 Teenage Superheroes. Who dream of Hollywood star This Mrs. Teen Titans go to the movies?
1: They're really making movies about every superhero. It's time they make one about me. I'm afraid it's no. I only make movies about real superheroes. Titans, you guys are never actually doing anything heroic. What about that time we
0: discovered that sweet diner and they had that food? <laughs>
1: that wasn't even a crime, and you didn't save anything. We save room for design! Oh, having a movie is the only way to be seen as a real hero what about an arch nemesis If we can make him our arch nemesis then they will see that we're worthy of a movie
0: I'm not interested in fighting a bunch of
1: sidekicks and a half a robot so just a quick, uh, just a quick sort of a primer, right? A primer on your for, Teen Titans for your parents who maybe don't <laughs> really know what movie you're being dragged to see. That's right,
0: because we remember watching the original Teen Titans with our son in the yes. '90s.
1: Yes, yes, Teen Titans, and and, and, and we was, liked it. Yes, so Robin, who was 18, he had broken away from uh, from Batman, and he sort of started his own team, and he was going to be the leader. He was tired of being a sidekick, but they were. It was angsty DC 90s animation and it was very good. It was a very good show and we watched it all the time. And then um it sort of uh I think it had I think it lasted until maybe 2006 and uh and then it stopped having new episodes. And then not too much later they came up with a spin-off which is Teen Titans Go. And it's silly you know and it's fun but it is it is not the original binding. It's the same characters but they're shrunk and they've got bigger eyes and they're goofballs. <laughs> they're like
0: Muppet babies.
1: Exactly. Um. It, yeah. And and so so this is that. So if you go thinking you're going to get sort of those that brilliant early 2000s Teen Titans, you know, DC comp. That's not what you're getting. You're getting the goofy little ones. Right. And the goofy little ones, very much like sort of Fairly Odd Parents and some of those other fun early 2000s goofball cartoons. It's fun and enjoyable for about the length of, of a an- TV show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I laughed out loud. I was you know, and they've got a song in their heart. They're making fun of superhero movies mm-hmm. and the how we're just inundated with superhero movies and they do a really great job and they have some great cameo voices playing you know the the adult batman and superman and mm-hmm. uh and then you know and then they they go to hollywood in a muppet sort of fashion and and actually some of their humor some of the humor is almost startlingly flippant in its morbidity which i personally enjoyed oh yes um but it's just I don't know how many poop jokes or flatulence (laughs) jokes. I just, you know, it's very colorful. It's very, very upbeat. It's got a lot of fun songs to it. And and honestly, uh, you know, I looked at my watch the first time about 26 minutes in, and I realized I had another hour and four minutes to endure. Um, And I I wasn't alone. I mean, there were children in the screening with me, not with me personally, but in my row. Mm -hmm. And by the time... A A little fidgety. Oh, by the time we were done, the kid two seats down had his feet propped up against my armrest. He had completely stretched across the seat between us. I mean, it's just—it just cannot sustain uh, for ninety minutes. It can't.
0: Although we were talking about Fallout not having a stinger, this one does, and it's kind of bittersweet. It is. I don't. I
1: probably shouldn't say what it is, but stick around. Yeah. If if you're gonna make it, it, if you make it the full ninety minutes, you know what's another
0: five. The Teen Titans Go To The Movies sort of runs out of gas. Another one in limited release this week. Uh, Gus Van Zandt, it's his latest, tells the story of a rocky path to sobriety after a life-changing accident. John Callahan discovers the healing power of art, willing his injured hands into drawing hilarious, often controversial cartoons, which bring him a new lease on life. It's called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far On Foot.
1: The last day that I walked, I woke up without a hangover. I
0: knew I had an hour or so of grace
1: before the the withdrawal symptoms set in. And that was it. Dexter had mistaken a light pole for an exit and slammed into it at 90 miles an hour.
0: I'm Donnie and I'm an alcoholic. My day
1: has been pretty good until I came in here and saw all of you. Uh, Maybe you were weakened so you could become strong. Something really profound just happened to me, man. You're a very special person.
0: You are such a pain in the ass, John. Now this one's based on the book, the memoir, Mm -hmm. by John Callahan, the cartoonist, about his life and how he came to make a living as this cartoonist, and it's fascinating. It features some great performances led by Joaquin Phoenix, who I don't know how many times we have to say He's having a great year, oh, but he's man. having a great
1: year. Yeah, he's having. And this is just this is just film number 2. You know, pretty soon he is going to play Jesus in the film Mary Magdalene and he's going to follow that up playing a gunslinger in a movie I cannot wait to see called The Sisters Brothers. Yeah. Uh and so so and then of course we we just came off of You Were Never Really Here, which right now Fantastic. I would say, you know, he should be in very serious consider for an consideration for an Oscar for that. Yeah. So He's always been one of the greatest actors of his generation, and this is, this is just the year where they, where he's just going, no, really, look.
0: Yeah, yeah, so this is the story of, uh, you know, a, a guy who, before he became a cartoonist, before he became paralyzed, really had very little aim in life, very little direction, little anchor. I mean, he was off all over the place, and it led to this accident um, that uh, put him in a wheelchair. And the movie, it's Gus Van Zandt, as we mentioned, the director, and the movie takes a, a very... I guess the approach takes a little getting used to and into the tone and the uh, the style that he tells the story. It's all over the place. It's back and forth. It's following the twelve steps to sobriety that John Callahan uh, has to go through, of course, when you when you do the twelve steps and then getting to the successful uh, work as a cartoonist. And it's populated with interesting characters, populated with good performances, including another very solid supporting, a performance by Jonah Hill, who, yeah, ne- who now has really established himself. I think he has before this, but in yeah. case you were, in case the jury was out, it's not anymore. He he's a very 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 solid, always versatile actor.
1: Uh, and Jack Black, who basically plays Jack Black, but he just is such he's so good at it. Yeah, he's got I a mean, small
0: he, but very pivotal yeah, role. Yeah, of yeah.
1: course, Joaquin Phoenix was amazing. And yeah. I, and I want to just point out that generally he is one of those presences. He is this in you were never really here. Where you feel like he could explode at any second, you know? He's a very physical performer, I think. And so I, I really appreciated that in this film, of course, he has to basic he's it's still a very physical performance. It's it is. just basically from the neck up. No, it's and very then, physical. And then, you know, he has limited use of his of his hands. And the frustration and the joy mm-hmm. and the sense of discovery, I think, are all just beautifully depicted yeah, by him. Yeah, it's,
0: it's com- the film is compassionate, it's sensitive. You're right, it's a very <laughs> physical performance. Uh, he has to, you know, co- convincingly portray a man who's paralyzed, you know, and how he deals with that, not physically, but emotionally.
1: Right, and I think also the sobriety plays into it because the clear-headedness, as well as getting used to, to trying to live as a, as a quadriplegic, offers Phoenix a lot of opportunities to of discovery, mm-hmm. and he just does that so well, and there are really some very joyous moments in this movie, and it's a very enjoyable film. Personally, I felt that uh, it seemed to me that, that Gus Van Zandt was trying to loosen up the 12-step structure by um, kind of tossing chronology to the wind, mm-hmm. where you'd be watching uh, a an AA meeting, you would... They would let you know what step he's on. And then the next thing you know, you're kind of a, a vignette where he had longer hair and a mustache. So you're like, so this came before that step. And then there was another vignette quickly where he looks different. And the chronology is very confused. And I, I feel like he did it intentionally to sort of loosen up the very rigid structure. But I don't think I'm not sure it works. And then the other issue that I have with the 12 step structure is that I feel like the film focuses so so much on his path towards sobriety. That it kind of undersells the amazing fact that this sort of slacker drunk who didn't do anything really for a living before the accident managed to become this incredibly well-regarded cartoonist. I feel like that is almost secondary, um, and I uh, it didn't that that part of it, the way it was put together, didn't work that well for me. Well,
0: so often in other films, when other directors mess with chronology like that, I think a lot of times it's to to sell the point that not that one piece of the story is not any more important than the other. So I, it could be possible that he was trying to put no more importance on any one of the steps, maybe. I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that's true, but I know that when you mess with chronology like that, that's one of the reasons why. I definitely I think, think that
1: tends to be Tarantino's purpose in doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I think that the glimpses that you get that are out of sequence... They're not long enough to establish anything. They almost just feel like interesting separate vignettes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just actually it made me more aware of the rigid twelve-step structure.
0: Interesting. And I think the other thing we haven't mentioned about this film is its humor. I oh, mean it's very funny. His his sense of humor in these comics is oh, yeah. it's it it's dark, it's silly, but it's funny.
1: Oh, it's very funny. Well, the title, Don't worry, he right. won't get far on foot, that comes from one of his panels yeah. and and it's a it's a it's an image of a posse, right, like sheriffs on on horseback looking at an overturned wheelchair <laughs> like somebody that they've been following and that's the line, Don't worry, he won't so, get far on foot, that clues is, you in this, yeah. he's
0: a sort of his uh, his sense of humor and uh, the, so the humor in it is also on target and it's yeah, it's um, it's a very enjoyable, well put together film, well acted, certainly very. well acted. If if just a little bit stylistically curious, but yeah. not not that it's not that it's a misstep. It's just a little bit curious. Mm. But uh, well, yeah, we enjoyed it. Uh, he won't get far on foot. And one more in limited release this week tells the story of a black man on probation beginning to reevaluate his relationship with his volatile white best friend and the world around him. It's called Blind Spotting.
1: You are a convicted felon. Mr. Hoskins, you are now that until proven otherwise. Oh. Prove otherwise at all times. Enough! Stop! Don't shoot! Don't shoot! You need to get rid of Miles. Miles, this is my best friend. He's gonna put you back in jail, or he's gonna get you killed. Don't make me write you up for your last week. Every time you come around, you monsters it's got me feeling like a monster in my own town.
0: This one is a very promising debut from really a trio of of rookie filmmakers. you got the director, Carlos Lopez Estrada, as his first feature. And you've got two actors uh, that, well, one, it is also his first feature, Rafael Cassell. But then David Diggs, uh, he's got a lot of credits, but he's known mainly from the original Broadway cast of Hamilton. Very impressive there. Very. He won a, a Tony and he won a Grammy. Uh, and he's done some other smaller film roles. But he uh, stars along with uh, Raphael Cassell, and they both wrote the film. They star as Colin and Miles, uh, uh, a black and white best friend. They've grown up together in Oakland. And uh, Colin, uh, played by Diggs, he's just come out of prison, and he is finishing up. He's got three days. When the movie starts, he's got three days to go in his probation. Mm Got to just straighten narrow for three days, and he'll be off probation. And uh, he's obviously very committed to doing that because he wants off probation and all the rules that he has to follow. And uh, his best friend, uh, Miles, is kind of a, you know, he's a real loose cannon. I mean, he carries a gun at some point and he's just, and so you get the feeling like he's going to be the guy that waylays, gets his yeah. best friend into yeah. trouble again uh, until such time as fate comes calling and uh, Colin ends up being the one eyewitness to a fatal police shooting. And that brings some complications. And it brings it's another reason that he starts reevaluating everything in his life. And it's a movie that it has a lot to say. It has a lot of different ways to say those things. And you get and it's it's really well done in in a lot of areas, but you get the feeling that timing is not great with this movie because it's almost inevitable that it's going to be compared to "Sorry to bother you,"
1: which has messages that are different, obviously. this The messages here are much more. They're less broad. They're less sort of a, across society. They're much more intimate. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still a, a first-time filmmaker, and it still addresses racism and, and violence.
0: Yeah, because you talked about the broad the broad scope of Sorry to Bother You, which has, you know, it's a, a takedown, a wide-ranging takedown, really, of capitalism, capitalism. in itself, yes, exactly. while it also looks at racism. And this one uses the, these two guys and this one neighborhood to hone in on issues of gentrification. And racism, and police brutality, and even rap music. Mm. I mean, it really does, mm-hmm. and, and does that effectively. So uh, it takes more intimate subjects, more intimate themes, and and plays them out more mm-hmm. intimately. Mm-hmm. Does uh, than Sorry to bother
1: you does, but but
0: still, very often does so effectively.
1: But it, but it, the tone and the tone is crazy. Yeah. But but sorry to bother you, they he committed to a tone and he made it work
0: full absurdist right
1: and and I feel like uh blind spotting he had trouble It
0: it has trouble because it does go back and forth there are times when Colin and Miles remind you of Jay and Silent Bob with their comedy not that it isn't funny but they're okay there you've got that tone and then it gets very serious about some very real serious societal topics and sometimes that struggling with doing both isn't entirely successful in this movie and then other times when it is getting dramatic and is and it does have a message that message is hammered home just a little too heavy just a little too much Mm -hmm. you know Uh, but still there are many sequences that really really nail it in fresh you know, much like um, Sorry to Bother You, it, it feels fresh, it feels exuberant, you yeah. know, from new filmmakers that say, look, I've got something to say and I'm going to say it differently. Right. You know, you're like, all right, man. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, please, yeah. please bring that on. So you you get that energy about the movie and then, boy, it leads to a, a real memorable, very memorable uh, climax. It just uh, really
1: makes it all worth it. It does. You'll uh, overlook the flaws. With
0: with Diggs' character, just a a rage filled, stylistic, uh, almost performance art piece at the end that is really, really memorable. So there are a lot of things, a lot of things this movie does right. I just had to pick just a a couple things here and there uh, stylistically, but I think all around, from performances to writing to direction, uh, it hails all these guys as filmmakers to really look for. This Mm -hmm. is a promising debut, very well done in so many ways, and definitely worth seeing if it's in your area, and that is called blind spotting. Just one big one, one one big box of candy in the lobby this week, so let's go there. Let's all go to the
1: lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Who's feeling nostalgic?
0: (laughs) If you are, this is the movie for you. Pop Culture Explosion. Especially nostalgic, well, especially meaningful for us, I guess, since we're based in Columbus, Ohio, right. and this movie is also based in Columbus, Ohio, so it we got is. an extra kick out of it.
1: It is, and it's fun that Spielberg made it because it is basically, uh, it is just a fanboy's dream, and he would be the 80s fanboy's perfect Director. Exactly. Uh, and and uh, and it is fun. It's fun to watch. We loved the shining part. We didn't expect it. We thought it yeah. was great. I don't think it's the, I don't, it certainly doesn't rank as one of Spielberg's best, but it, it is a fun film to watch.
0: And it's one that really, it's another one that really is better on the big screen. Yeah. If you've got a great
1: big screen at home, you're going like to like it I've better. I've
0: been, been saying that a lot lately, but uh, it really does make good use of a great big screen. So if you are going to see it on home video, yeah, maybe a friend down the street, unless you have a, a big home theater. But the bigger the screen for this one, the better. And and you're right, it's just fun. It's, it is. it's not one of his best, I agree with you, but uh, it might be one of his most fun because you'll, you can watch it several times and just try to pick out all the pop culture references Yeah. And if you're of a certain age, they're going to mean that more to mm-hmm. you because you remember all mm-hmm. these things, all these movies and these these pop culture moments. So a lot of fun. We both enjoyed Ready Player One, which is out on home video this week. Looking ahead to next week, as we mentioned, getting into August, and that slows things down a little bit. But we've got uh, a big, pretty high-profile comedy coming out called The Spy Who Dumped Me. That's Kate McKinnon, who we love. Yes. And also Mila Kunis. She reminds us
1: of my, my niece, Brenna. Is it Mila or Mila? I think it's Mila. I think it's Mila. It?
0: All right, so Mila. Apologies for Brenna. that. One. Uh, also, <laughs> also eighth grade, one that uh, we just so saw, so
1: beautiful, so lot, brilliant, and we'll loved be ta- it. Talking
0: about that, and the latest uh, young adult uh, called "The Darkest Mind," that... and then
1: Disney's Christopher Robin. Oh, as that's well. right,
0: that's right. It wasn't so long ago where they had the goodbye Christopher Robin. So right, we're gonna... but
1: this one actually has Pooh and yeah. Eeyore and Piglet in the movie, so, right, so we're bound to
0: be cuter. Revisit that whole thing. Uh, those will all be next week. But let us know what you thought about the movies this week. Mission Impossible Fallout. I, I have a feeling that's going to have a big week. So, uh, give us your reaction or a reaction to any of the movies we talked about. Easiest way to find us is on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. On Facebook and Instagram, we're Mad Wolf Columbus. And you can find the main website, our written reviews, and our other horror movie podcast called Fright Club, all there on our website at madwolf.com. So, we hope to hear from you. Until then, the Screening Room podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater and a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend
1: for dinner. Bye.